And we are raised with him. Death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. And we shall reign with him. For he lives. Christ is risen from the dead. Amen? What wonderful, magnificent words. And the, the best part about it is that they are more than just words. This is the truth from God of what happened. We are going to look today in John chapter 20. I encourage you to turn to that. And I wanted to mention if, uh, if you're visiting with us today, uh, we have a book called Original Jesus, What He Really Did and Why It Really Matters. And you are welcome to a copy of that. You can get it at, at either of these doors if it's your first time with us and you'd like more information. There's bags there uh, with information in it. And uh, if you just want the book, uh, we're pleased for you to take that as well, which is just going to expand on uh, the things we're, we're talking about today. Sometimes uh, questions beg for us to share the rest of the story. Uh, pretty soon we're going to be hearing about uh, brush fires out in California. And I heard uh, a story of a young reporter that was out there, and he was to be covering the story. He contacted his editor and said, I'd like, I'd like us to get a, a, an airplane so I can fly over and give a, you know, get some good pictures and uh, you know, get a first-hand look. And the editor thought, well, that's a, that's a pretty good idea. He said, okay, go to such and such an airport. Uh, we'll have the plane ready for you there. And so uh, the young reporter rushed over to that airport. He saw the plane uh, sitting there. Uh, there was a, a pilot there, and so he jumped in the plane. He said, let's go. And they took off and got up in the air. And uh, the reporter said, okay, I want you to go to uh, the north end of the, the fires, and we're going to go all the way to the south end, but get down as low as you can if you can go through the smoke, whatever you can do. And, and uh, the one flying the plane said, well, you know, why do you want to do that? He said, well, I, you know, I'm a reporter. I want to get as close to the story as I can. And the young guy flying the plane said, wait a minute, you're not the flight instructor? <laughs> now, wouldn't you like to know the rest of that story? <laughs> well, today we're going to look at uh, a, a question that begs for us to look into the rest of the story. And the, the question that we see today is very simply... Why are you crying? Why are you crying? Now, Mary Magdalene has become such a popular figure. You know, other than Jesus, she may be the, the most highlighted figure in, you know, in, in Jesus' ministry in our day. Uh, she has, uh, she's been called his last temptation. She has been declared uh, the, uh, his mistress, the mother of Jesus' 
children, uh, various things. You read the Da Vinci Code, you know, things like that. Now, remember, those are fiction. You don't get your history from those places. But, uh, and I I saw um, uh, a news uh, magazine that was all about the women of the Bible, and who do you think's on the front? It's Mary Magdalene. Why is that? What is it about her? And, and what's true about her and, and really what is fiction? Uh, let's look in John 20. I, I just want to read the first verse, and then we're going to skip down a little ways. It says this now on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran, let me just jump ahead, but she went to get Peter and other disciples, and they came back to the tomb and so on. And then she, after they uh, looked around, uh, made their conclusions, uh, the disciples, it says in verse 10, went back to their homes. Verse 11, this is where we will pick up. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting uh, where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Let's bow together. Lord, will you today give us the answer to that that big question there. Why did you even record this passage? What is here for us? We need you to teach us. And so we ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now let's take a look at uh, her identity here. Uh, it, it's verse 13, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, 
I do not know where they have laid him. Now, it's interesting. These two angels, they just call her woman. It's not like they didn't know who she was. And, and then Jesus does that first as well, doesn't he? Why didn't they use her name? We might have a clue to that in, in a minute. We'll try to talk about that. But who, who is this uh, Mary Magdalene? Well, she is from the town of Magdala. Magdalene was not her last name. You, you probably knew that, but we've, we've called her that so long. Figured she was from the Magdalene family or something. She's from this town that uh, apparently still exists. It's got a, a different name today and my little bit of research, Migdal, apparently, on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. So she's, she's from that area. In terms of her reputation, this is really the big, the big part about Mary that most people believe they know about her but has no real basis, and that is there's no evidence that she was a woman of low morals. Okay, let's, let's redeem her a little bit here. Uh, since medieval times, Mary Magdalene has been one of the most maligned women in the New Testament. I told you some of the things that have been said about her. And uh, historically, it's all traced back to one of the popes who made a declaration and then uh, some scholars who also made a very big presumption in terms of her identity. And here's, here's where they made the wrong jump, uh, or, or a jump at least that we, we can't prove and, and shouldn't jump to that conclusion. Uh, they are tying her into uh, the sinful woman in Luke chapter 7. That doesn't, there's no name on that woman. And then Mary... Magdalene was introduced in Luke chapter 8. Now, it follows closely, but it doesn't make a connection, and there's no reason for us to connect it. So all of those things you thought you knew about her former life, take those out of there. Let's stick to what the Scripture says. In fact, Frank Mead said this, we, we have had Mary Magdalene in the pillory for 1,900 years, flinging mud. You know what the pillory is? That's where they stick their head through the, um, through the stocks, we, we sometimes call it. Uh, we should have been pilloried. This Mary was never a harlot. There's no evidence anywhere for that. At most, she was neurotic, and Jesus healed her. Which, by the way, should be encouraging to those of you that are neurotic to know that that there's, there's hope for, uh, for people who are... Look, what we do know about her is that she was healed by Jesus. Uh, Luke chapter 8 uh, says this, And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. That we know about her. 
Okay, and some, some think, okay, well, what, what are these seven demons? Some would say, well, it was seven instances of her having seizures or something like this, and, and some say that it was actually a, a supernatural, demonic, uh, where she had these demons in her. You know, in, in some ways, it doesn't really matter. What, what does matter is we know. And, and by the way, there's no reason not to think seven demons, because that's what the Scripture says. But we know that Jesus actually healed her. Then she began to follow Jesus, uh, and, and she was one of his most loyal followers. And then the question comes, well, you know, somebody who, you know, Frank Mead calls neurotic or had, had these difficulties in their life, how healed was she? Well, let me give you an indication of how healed she was. We can see right here. She was so healed that she didn't mind going into a place where there were tombs by herself early in the morning, unaccompanied, and apparently unafraid. I would say she was healed. She was a follower of Jesus, a loyal Follower. Now, let's look at how that came about. We, we see she's healed, first of all, but then look at her state of mind. Verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Now, what's going on here? Well, here she is. She comes the first opportunity she had after uh, the Sabbath after the holiday and so on. He was put in the tomb. She goes there and uh, it's, it's empty. She's so upset. She, she goes and gets Peter. They come and there's an account of what, what they did there. But then after they went back to their homes, processing things, no doubt, she stayed behind. And then she decides to look inside the tomb. So she stooped to look inside there. What do you think was going through her mind? She had been through the worst of times. We see this question then. She sees the angels there. Verse 13, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? By the way, in terms of proofs of the resurrection, often on Easter Sunday we go through various proofs of the resurrection, which, by the way, this book has uh, some of those in, included. <clears throat> but this is, we need to see this as, as being significant uh, because one of, the, one of the objections to the, uh, the resurrection is some will say, well, it was, you know, it was mass hysteria. They... They expected to see Jesus alive, and so they all, you know, one said he, he was, and then another, and then another, and pretty soon everybody was saying, yeah, we saw him too. 
And we all know of instances like that where things have taken place. But what we need to notice, look carefully at what the Scripture says, what actually happened. She wasn't expecting to see Jesus alive. She wasn't going expecting to see Jesus, at least not at that time. That's that's what upset her even further, was that she she went and now the tomb's empty. So think about her scenarios. Woman, why are you weeping? Now, why would they ask that? You think they didn't know why she was weeping? You know, what an ignorant question. Everybody that followed Jesus was weeping for days, the last several days. Or, you know, was Jesus saying, why are you weeping? Uh, It's inappropriate to weep at the death of somebody you love. No, we know that's not the case, Jesus wept at the death of someone he loved, and he, he wept as he entered into Jerusalem at their, their spiritual state of need. So the, the weeping wasn't the problem. James Montgomery Boyce says this, the purpose for the question was to clarify her thinking and, and highlight the contrast between what she was looking for and the far greater blessing that was about to be given to her. So what what was she looking for? What was she expecting? What was her perspective of what happened? Well, her perspective was this, because she was an eyewitness. Jesus was arrested. Things got out of control. He went through these weird trials. He's convicted and he's, he's murdered on the cross. And then we take him down and we, we put him in the tomb. And that's that. That's, that's her perspective. That's what she saw. Now what in reality happened? I mean, she's thinking worst case scenario. And it was for her, if, if her perspective was accurate, that was the worst-case scenario because this one that had healed her was now gone out of her life. So what really happened? Well, yes, Jesus was arrested. He was tried, and they killed him. But here's the difference. He was in control the whole time. That's a big difference. Instead of the empty tomb being the worst case scenario, it was the best possible scenario for her and for us. She didn't recognize that at first. But she would soon find out Jesus got up and walked out of that tomb, and that's why it was empty. Now, here's the reality, is that everyone here, all of us, have to do what Mary did, and that is decide 
why that tomb was empty. Why was it empty? There's no disputes historically that it was empty. I've, I've never seen anyone argue that the tomb wasn't empty except one very small group of people that said they went to the wrong tomb, which maybe that would be an explanation for one trip there, but, you know, come on. Uh, but everyone says, yeah, the tomb was empty. There's just different explanations for it. And we've got, we all have to decide if we think it was empty because Jesus' body was stolen and hidden. That's what she thought at first. Or because he got up and walked out of the tomb. And that's no small question. It's a huge question. And how you answer that will determine your destiny for eternity. That's how big that question is. Now, how did this new perspective come to her? What happened to help her despair turn into a rejoicing and for her to be able to see the real reality? Well, she has a deeper encounter. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She probably often called him that. That's, that was probably her term for him. So what was different here that she recognized him? Remember earlier she'd been called woman? And then he calls her name. But here's the thing. I think it's different than her just hearing her name in her ears. Let me, let me explain that from a teaching earlier in Jesus' ministry. We read in John chapter 10, it says this, verse 2. He who enters the Uh, enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And then in verse 27 of John 10, it says this. See if this fits with what just happened. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they'll never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now here's the key. In that change in perspective, he called her name, a name that he had spoken before the foundations of the world. He spoke again to her And she heard it in her heart, and she saw him for who he was, that he was alive, and he was indeed the Savior, her Savior. That's what was happening here. And you may say, well, that's all really mystical, and I don't don't know about that. But let, let me say this, because when I just said that, 
Some of you here, in fact, probably a number of you here said, well, that's what happened to me. You know, I'd been bopping along, and I'd, I'd heard some of these things before, and I'd been in, in, you know, my busy life and things like that, and then all of the sudden, one Sunday, or one retreat, or one night, or one morning, you name it, depends on your experience. Something was different. And I heard him. And I saw him. And like Mary, I experienced him. That's, that's what happened to her. Look what her reaction is. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. So here, here's what happens. She, he calls her name. She runs over and grabs him, apparently. Doesn't even say that, but she steps away. And it says, don't cling to me. And I, there wasn't anything magical about that. It wasn't that she would wreck him from being able to ascend or anything like that. It's just, he's just saying, don't, don't hold me back. There, there's other things that actually are going to be better for you when I go, so don't cling to me here. But do you see why she would do that? Think about her life before Jesus. And her dreams had been shattered because Jesus was gone, and she would have thought, well, then it's hopeless now again. Who's going to keep the demons out of me? So she grabbed him. And he said, you don't need to do that. Because I'm, I'm going to ascend. And he'd already taught them that it was better for him to go because he would send his spirit. But here's what we need to know about her. Once he walked out of the tomb, her life wasn't all fixed. It wasn't all better immediately. She was still who she was before. But in the other sense, everything had changed. Look at the response. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he'd said these things to her. Some have pointed out that there are uh, two days in Holy Week with names. Now, uh, they usually say Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We'd probably say, well, there's Maundy Thursday. You know, we have that too. But then there's that day in between. There's Saturday. And that Saturday doesn't really have a name. Think about what had to have been going on that day. You had the crucifixion and the death on what we call Good Friday. And by the way, nobody was calling it Good Friday then except maybe Barabbas. You know, maybe the Pharisees, I don't know. But nobody else was. 
it, it became Good Friday for one reason, because of what happened Sunday when the stone was rolled back and he walked out. But in between, had to have been a horrible, awful day. I don't know what you did yesterday, but I, 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 I didn't have the kind of day they had. Horrible day. Thinking of what had, you know, images of what had happened the day before and wondering now what's going to happen and what do we do and, and all of those things, that's, that's Saturday, and they didn't understand what was about to take place or it would have made Saturday different. There's a sense that we're living on Saturday. But it's different than them. Here's what I mean by that. We know of his death on the cross for his people, for those who are trusting in Christ alone for their eternal life. But we know that it didn't end there. That on Sunday, we celebrate that he is alive. But the reason I say, in a sense, we still live on Saturday is like Mary Magdalene, is we, he's, he's alive, but we still have to deal with this fallen world that we are in and, and with like she did, some of our own shattered dreams. But it's different because we know about Sunday. We know what happened. And so we live in a a Saturday, so to speak, knowing that he is alive and he has promised that he is making all things new. And so the shattered things that we deal with now are temporary. And that makes all the difference in the world. Sunday will dawn when he comes back. A.W. Tozer said, I cannot give in to the devil's principle, deceitful tactic, that makes so many Christians satisfied with an Easter celebration instead of experiencing the power of Christ's resurrection. It is the devil's business to keep Christians mourning and weeping with pity beside the cross instead of demonstrating that Jesus Christ is risen indeed. We may live on Saturday, but like Mary, because Jesus is alive It changes everything. That's the good news. Let's bow together. Lord, I would ask you to call call out the names. Speak the names into the hearts of your people. Calling us to yourself and opening our eyes 
to see the real Jesus who is alive. We rejoice in him in Jesus' name.